Hello and welcome, my ghost story lovers. This is Beyond the Veil, Paranormal Tales, and I'm your host, Becca. You can also join us in blog form at beyondthevailparanormaltales.com if you'd like to read instead or read along. If you are new to the blog and podcast, while you should generally be able to pop in and enjoy any individual episode on its own, I do explain some things that make me different as I go along here, so you might want to hop back to episode one and start there, but as always, follow your heart. This week is the first week of a long story told in a series of episodes. I anticipate two to three, but I'm not fully done writing the story out yet, so time will tell on that. Join me here as I sit at twilight, Pike's Peak looking at me through exactly one tiny window in my house as turtle doves trill outside on my back fence. I'm sipping a hard blackberry lemonade this evening and enjoying the quiet while my oldest and the hubs get some driving time in. This week, I apologize for the rasp in my voice. I hope it holds up for us here. It's allergy season for me, and the throat tickle is real. Go grab yourself a nice cool drink on this early summer evening as the days heat up and the nights remain bright. Settle on in and listen as I tell you some real people's spooky stories, told in their own words. Some of these spooky stories may contain adult language. Listeners, be advised. This week, I go over a series of podcast episodes that I listened to in preparation for a ghost hunt I planned to go on last spring. I share abbreviated stories from the Ghost Train podcast and will share links to all of those referenced episodes on the blog. I highly recommend following those and listening to the full episodes, where the Ghost Train's host interviews various people to gather their stories about the location for my scheduled ghost hunt. Any names mentioned within those shared episodes will remain the same here. Other names have been changed to protect the parties involved. All that said, you have my word. All stories told here are real, to the best of my knowledge. So, start your own fire, grab your favorite fuzzy blanket to hide beneath, and settle in with me as we take a peek at the world that lies beyond the veil. Author's Episode Note This is the first episode I've actually debated throughout the process whether or not I should share it. It actually fought back all along the way while I was working on it. I've not had any other story push back on me like this one has. Even now, I'm on the fence about posting the finished product. During the writing phase, my writing program shit its pants and force closed on me as I worked. I had been listing out the owners and the numbers of years they were in the store when it shut down. I lost three hours worth of work. I was super not thrilled to have to redo those four lost pages. The second round through, I opted not to give too much detail about those former owners on this pass and saved a bunch as I went. It's been fine since then, at least as of the time of recording this note. OpenOffice is a pretty reliable program, typically, but it has, on rare occasion in the past, closed on me in a similar way. 
It typically gives warning first, though. This time, it just closed all my open files, from the owner list to my notes I took while listening through the podcasts again, to copies of text conversations about it all. This program doesn't autosave for me, so I lost three hours of work over multiple files. Some of the files complained upon trying to reopen them, too, saying they were corrupted. Not cool. Then, when recording, my voice was giving me trouble. Still is. Some of it is allergy stuffiness, and some of it's fibro fog, but I kept stumbling over my words and having to repeat myself. That's all clipped out for the final edit, of course, but it took much longer to get the recording phase done than it typically takes me to do. Next, during the edit phase, I listen through the file before I clip it at all. I like to be sure it's solid throughout and I have workable content to edit. I usually save the file to my phone so I can listen through the raw episode on Google Drive on my commute for my day job. This time? Despite multiple device resets, I could not get the file to play unless I kept both the screen and the app open. It would play for a few minutes and then just stop. It completely closed out Google Drive's audio player each time it would stop. I had to go through my file folders to find the correct MP3 and then find my spot where it kicked me out each time. Super annoying. This has never happened before. Then I found a horribly worded area or three that needed reworking and the moment I sat to record, what happened? A rogue thunderstorm wandered by. Classic Colorado. Just gotta laugh. So, if you hear thunder at random, that's what happened there. Clearly, I'm working without a sound booth. Anyway, so I just had to throw that in there. So, that's the fun that I've had with this episode. It could be ghostly, someone trying to tell me not to tell this story. Or it could be random computer code issues. It's hard to say. But... I guess this episode now comes with a warning. Listen at your own risk. It might not want to be heard, either. Tonight is episode 10, Becca and the Ghost Hunting Research. Back in late February of 2019, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed from my bed one morning, hiding under the sheets, pretending I didn't have better things to do for the day, when a random post popped up from an old friend, Mary. Usually Mary posts memes or funny local articles, so this post about a local shop hosting ghost hunting nights and her asking if anyone wanted to go with her was a huge surprise. I had no idea Mary was interested in such things. I was absolutely in, and ran off to buy tickets. The link took me to a cute little website for a boutique in town, down in old Colorado City. The images showed a cute white building with hot pink stencil lettering and window boxes and a hot pink Cadillac sat up front of the store. Suddenly the store's name made a lot more sense the Pink Cadillac Boutique. The website mostly advertised the store's clothing, but there was a little area advertising ghost hunts. Apparently, the store is known to be quite haunted, and while not much happens during the day, there is a lot of activity at night, 
So the store was selling tickets, only a limited number per night, and only for a few nights, most spaced about two weeks apart. An actual local paranormal investigation team would host us and let us use their equipment during our time there, which sounded pretty good to me. Mary and I debated when to go and picked the first available date. I noted it happened to also align with that month's full moon and ran off to purchase tickets before it was too late. The website didn't say how many openings there were, just that the numbers were limited due to space. I grabbed two, planning to drag either my friend Beth with me, or my husband if she couldn't make it or wasn't interested. Mary got her ticket, and the two of us got her friend Marcy to come along, too. Suddenly, the website was sold out for our night. Beth's calendar was clear, and she agreed to join me for the evening. So... All we had to do was bide our time and get through until that night. But I can't just sit back and wait for something like that. I was far too impatient and excited about the coming night. I just had to learn more about this place we were going and what we would be doing. I switched into research mode and the obsession began. I'd never heard of the Pink Cadillac Boutique, so I did what I always do in times like this. I poked around online. This time it was through the links my friend had posted, and I found the boutique had a regular page, as well as a haunted boutique page where they posted all the odd videos from the store cameras and stuff. The front door would randomly open by itself, the radio would change itself, things would move around for no reason and stuff. Interesting. Should be a fun night. Store basics out of the way, I started wondering what kind of ghost hunting equipment we might have access to. If I got to use one of those K2 meters they have on the ghost hunting TV shows, I would want to know what it's supposed to do and how it works. Can I trust it or is it a crap tool, you know? Warning. Ghost hunting equipment rant incoming. All links can be found on the blog. There's a lot of them. You've been warned. So, deep into Google, I dove, looking at lists of types of ghost hunting tools. Digital voice recorders are one of the simplest, but most important tools out there. Any voice recorder will do. Your phone may have a memo tool that could work for this purpose. You simply press record, ask your questions, then listen back. Some people do the listen back immediately, and others record a lot and listen later. Some use both. But ghost hunters agree, having recorders going while you work is a good idea. Audio and video both is ideal if you can. Sometimes the sound will cut out for one, but not the other, and it's interesting comparing them when weird things do happen. If anything strange is found on your audio recording, that is called an electronic voice phenomenon, or an EVP. There are classifications for them, depending on how clear they are and if the responses are intelligent, etc. But I very much like a simple tool being repurposed for ghost hunting. I don't know why exactly, I just trust that type of tool a bit more. It's less biased or something? Anyway. There are EMF meters. These are handheld gadgets that use special, 
highly sensitive components to find fluctuations in the electromagnetic fields, which is what the acronym stands for. They are called readers, detectors, and meters, but they all do the same thing. EMF readers are a scientific tool used to find things in the environment that can be harmful to humans. They are often also used in paranormal investigation because an entity coming into proximity with it can activate the meter, effectively turning a light on. These are generally trusted in a place with all electronic items turned off after a base sweep is done to look for areas that might set the meters off. They can activate when they come close to power lines, smoke detectors, battery packs, and cameras, so you must be mindful of your surroundings if you are using this tool. There are lots of different EMF meters out there, from the K2, the ghost hunting kit standard you see on TV, to cute stuffed teddy bears that will talk if activated. Those types were made just for ghost hunters. There are plenty of other scientific tool versions made for professionals that could be used if you worry more about scientific accuracy. It would be interesting to compare the two types side by side in the same space. Hmm. Anyway. Spirit boxes are another popular ghost hunting communication device. They are radios, but they are set to scan through all the radio stations it can find. You can usually speed up or slow down the radio scan. Some brands let you go through the dial backwards or forwards. Some of them will allow both AM and FM. Since they utilize radio stations in the area, if you're working in a rural area, you might not have success with this. These were designed for use by ghost hunters and have been tailored to meet their needs, but they're loud, and if you're prone to headaches, they can be a trigger, so be careful. You'll want cameras, all the cameras, still cameras and video both. Thermal cameras show the heat in a space both cold and hot. Regular cameras capture what the eye can see. Night vision settings on cameras are the ones that typically catch images or videos of orbs. There are motion sensor cameras that activate and record if something in the room moves. This type of camera saves on battery life for the camera and also saves on the review phase by giving you a lot less footage to look through. But I'd probably want to have a standard night vision camera going if I could as backup because I'm crazy. Flashlights are handy for a number of things. Headlamps are good for hands-free light if you need it, with a standard flashlight as a backup. I don't believe I'll use flashlights for communication myself after researching into that. The second flashlight video is admittedly long, but it's long because it's thorough, and I say it's definitely worth the watch. The video narrator proves how the flashlights are actually working turning on and off by themselves, and it's nothing paranormal. If you choose to use a flashlight in an investigation, I agree that some spirits can use it anyway. I just would personally hesitate at calling it proof. There are also laser grid systems. Those are a little box with a laser light that casts a grid on the room that you pointed at. There are also dot versions that cast multiple points of light into the room. 
It's hard to fake a result using these, and they're pretty simple but effective if something is physically in the space. These are pretty cool. The Ovilus, spelled O-V-I-L-U-S, is a newer device. It's a talking box that seems to be different than the others. The old versions just spit out verbal responses. The newest versions, while not exactly cheap, do quite a lot, though. However, this whole line is made by a skeptic, if that puts you off. I looked at possibly using the phone apps, and most of them seem pretty terrible. The freebie phone spirit boxes that spit out words tend to be random word generators. If you just turn them on and let them run while you're doing nothing at all and asking no questions, it'll try to be spooky. Never did they answer direct questions. The freebie ghost radars were equally fake. We turned two or three of them on at various times and let them sit side by side, and they had completely different readings from each other. I also have to pose questions of what exactly are these ghost-detecting apps supposed to be measuring with that exists on a phone? Nobody can explain that tech. Especially the EMF readers? Phones don't have EMF detection, and in fact, the phones themselves can set the meters off. So how does that work? If I'm wrong, please do explain it to me. I'm truly curious, and it does not compute. That said, of all of the apps I tried, the iOvilus app has been very consistent for me. It doesn't always make sense, the words it spits out, but I have received answers to questions I have asked with that one. Rant over. Hey, I did warn you, but don't tell me that wasn't informative. So, I watched a few more episodes of some various ghost shows to see the devices in action and see if I could follow along with the new info in mind. It was a bit more entertaining that way, but I still wasn't satisfied. I filled up the Amazon Prime feed with ghostly shows and movies, much to the irritation of my husband. (laughs) Oops. Sorry? And then a podcast episode link popped up on my feed for the store's haunted page. It was someone talking about the store. I was in and immediately clicked in to listen from my phone. I'm going to paraphrase the things that jumped out to me as I listened, but there will be links to all of the referenced episodes on the blog. I highly recommend listening for yourself, especially if this story resonates with you. I leave quite a lot of interesting stuff out for the sake of brevity here. That first podcast episode link led me to an interview with Monica, an energy reader. In the episode, I'm Not a Medium, part one of the Ghost Train podcast, Monica from Colorado Paranormal Seekers explained her gifts and talked about the Pink Cadillac Boutique. She prefers to go into a new location without any information and feel things out for herself, which made a lot of sense to me and made me start rethinking my own approach. So first she'd do her walkthrough, then she would talk with the people there to confirm what she felt or gather information, etc. If they were open after that, they would do a more formal investigation with her team. So Monica got to the store, 
went in blind, and felt several different spirits around the property. There were two little girls in the dressing rooms, twins but not twins, she said, and the hair stood up all over my body. I immediately knew one of those little girls is not really a little girl. It's something else. Something pretending. Red flags went up immediately as I continued listening. There's a grumpy old man in the front of the store who isn't fond of women, and a woman in the store who feels like she runs the place. There's this strange internal stained glass window between a storage room and the residence's kitchen, and a repetitive energy is in that storage room. There are bootleggers in the basement near the boarded-up tunnel that's left over from Prohibition days, and there's the sense that someone died in the bathroom suddenly. A medical issue. They felt strange and died. Per Monica, there are also other things outside in the street. Someone who claims the stretch of road almost like a drag racer, and a few other deaths outside and nearby. But mostly, Monica talked about an investigation they did for her daughter-in-law's recent birthday at the Pink Cadillac. She mentioned Robert from another investigation team being there that night, and he tended to provoke things, trying to get them to react. That night, they did react, but not well. The doves that are in the store and cages started making a terrible noise, as if they were being squeezed, and Robert's neck was hurting, was burning. He yelled for them to check him, and his neck turned red like a rash before Monica's eyes. None of that sounded great. My guard was up. What had I just agreed to? Was I in over my head with this place? I brushed my feelings off as nervous jitters and carried on. I continued binging ghost hunting shows on Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. Then, a couple weeks later, another Ghost Train podcast episode dropped regarding the pink Cadillac, Raising Demons on a Saturday Night. That one was Drew interviewing Robert, the guy who was burned in the previously mentioned episode. He's the lead investigator with Front Range Research Society, and after a pink Cadillac investigation, he was supposed to do a Facebook Live interview with another group at the store, but only the audio worked. They couldn't get the camera working for the interview at all. They blamed the house for interfering somehow and just laughed it off. So, Robert has done several investigations at the Pink Cadillac and is now friends with the owners. Lisa wanted to have someone come out to the store to check it out because she had been having some terrible dreams and the house had been feeling different. So, when they went out of town, they left the store in the hands of an employee during the day, but they also invited Robert to crash overnight and investigate over the weekend after the store closed for the day. Robert, of course, jumped at the chance. The first night, he did a little investigation and had the audio recorder out and started to nod off, but woke up on his own and decided to shut the device off rather than listen to eight hours of dead air. Upon listening back, though, it wasn't dead air. It sounded like the floor was creaking, as if someone was walking around outside the store area. 
and then it sounded like clanking glasses. Either cheers style clinking or glasses moving in the cabinet. The sounds were clear enough he asked the owners to let him check the camera during that time frame when he nodded off. He wanted to be sure he hadn't been sleepwalking and done something himself. They said they'd check it when they got back and listened to the audio recording of the creaking floor and said it sounded like the floor by the register. It's an old building and has developed creaky areas, but after living there for a while, they've learned where those areas are. Robert also held a mini-investigation, and they caught an EVP of an intelligent response to a question. The night he slept there all night, two of the three cats were sleeping on the bed with him, and the third cat was acting strange in the room with the stained glass window. And they caught a strange hopping orb at the store, too. Robert said it's not unusual for things at the store to follow him home. Oh, great, something more to worry about. This place clearly has something dark in it, and things follow people home. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. I ran out and got some black tourmaline and selenite for my car. Not today, Satan. A week or so later, another podcast episode was linked on the store's haunted page. That time, it was an episode interviewing the store's owner, Lisa, and she had a number of things to share. That episode, My Roommates Are Ghosts, aired and began with the host commenting that he had been called by something to investigate the Pink Cadillac Boutique, and I just burst out laughing and raised my hand. I realized with his comment, all of these episodes aired after I purchased my tickets. Every single one of them. A Google search revealed nothing public had really been said about the haunting of the location before those episodes. So, my personal obsession and the Ghost Train's host's obsession coinciding did not just feel like coincidence to me. It was like I was meant to go, and like I was meant to know more. So, I listened up as I chuckled to myself about it all. Lisa opened by saying they didn't choose the house. The house chose them. They weren't in the market for a storefront or anything at all, but ended up there anyway. Before long, they noticed some odd things as they worked on renovating the place. Doors were opening on their own, and they were brushing it off at first, like maybe they didn't close it like they thought they did. Then one day a random hailstorm came through instead of the typical afternoon rain and hail started falling. It's common enough April through September up here on the front range, so she just ran to check how big the hailstones were, and since that day's storm wasn't too bad, she got back to work inside the building. And then a hailstone appeared inside the house, and Lisa was worried something had gone wrong with their roofing work somehow. That hailstone didn't just appear inside. It also rolled in a straight line across an uneven subfloor and hit her in the boot, then stopped. Her husband came inside and she asked if he was playing tricks on her and he joked the house was just playing tricks on them. They looked into the history of the house at the El Paso County Records Office and put together a list of owners of how long each of them had been in the property. 
The house was built in 1898, and the list of owners is incredibly long, considering how long the place has been around. I got a copy of Lisa's list in an email, about a week after Lisa's episode aired. The property really did change hands every one to two years, with very few exceptions. There have been 34 owners in the 121 years the house has stood, and over that time it has housed eight different types of business. It has been a private residence twice, a gift shop once, a women's clothing store twice, a life insurance agent once, a bakery once, a candy shop twice, a tailor once, and it's been vacant for a stretch twice. The longest stretch of time with a single owner was during the shop's phase as a music shop from 1959 to 2006. The store's second longest stretch as a single type of business with 21 different owners was its stint as a grocery from 1912 to 1957. That's what we know, but remember, there was that tunnel connected to the crawl space basement. Lord only knows what went through there during Prohibition. But, per Lisa, the first owners were a dressmaker and a carpenter. And she finds that funny because she's running a ladies' clothing store, and her husband does carpentry. They were drawn to this building, drawn to renovate it, and they discovered their mirrors of the original owners. After they'd been in the house for a while... Lisa had a growing suspicion that something was making people leave the space. Things began to happen to them, and they were physically attacked. Her husband woke with a black eye one morning, after going to bed looking totally normal. And Lisa had burn marks suddenly appear on her leg one morning. Those burns appeared on her upper thigh and went down her leg. This was all around the same time as another creepy incident in the home. One night, Lisa woke in the middle of the night, and she said she heard someone running in the house. They were heavy male footsteps running through the store and the residence, straight from the front door to the back door, stomping, running footsteps. There's an issue with that because you can't just run that way through the house. There are walls and a counter and doors and stuff in the way. And if anyone had broken in, the door and window chimes would have announced where that entry point was. No such chime happened that night. So Lisa woke her husband up and told him he had to wake up because she'd just heard the scariest thing she's ever heard. And then they both heard heavy stomping running from the front of the store to the back of the store but on the ceiling. Not on the roof outside, but inside, on the ceiling. Her husband jumped out of bed and chased the sound to the back of the house and waited to see if anything landed in the yard, but it had vanished, or rather never showed itself. Lisa also said they've had raccoons before, and the sound they heard did not sound like that at all. Then her husband noticed something odd. There was an old doorway in their bedroom that led to the store area that they blocked off when they were building the changing rooms. 
Across that doorway, they put a full-length mirror. On that mirror, Lisa's husband noticed there were footprints running up from the floor to the ceiling. Lisa described them as being adult-sized footprints, sort of triangular, with a narrow heel and wider toes. There were three distinct toes with smudges at the ends, which Lisa said looked to her like three claws. Goosebumps crawled over my flesh at that comment. Lisa was looking at the burns on her leg one night following that incident, and her husband commented that they sort of mimicked the footprints they saw on the mirror. Then, Lisa had some unexplained allergic reaction where her face swelled up and her eyes swelled closed. She doesn't typically have reactions to stuff like that. All of this didn't scare Lisa as much as it made her very angry. She scolded the entity and said she did not spend her savings to open this place to be run out. She stood her ground and said she isn't going anywhere, and she described it as a bit of a standoff. But they carried on, trying to make the best of their new space. Lisa was checking out the stores that were near hers and found a metaphysical shop across the street. The owner of that store, Mountain Metaphysical, is a medium and a psychic, and when they got talking about the things going on in Lisa's shop, that shop owner had some advice for Lisa. She said to burn frankincense and myrrh every day in the space to help ward off the entity. Negative things don't like the smell, she said. She sells special sage bundles, and Lisa got one while there. She smudged her whole store to shoo away the negative energy that was lurking. And Lisa got some protective stones for herself and her husband to wear 24-7. But even then, with a black tourmaline piece around her neck every day, Lisa said her necklace still breaks on her every six to eight months. The stone breaks into pieces. The metaphysical shop owner said it's because it's working very hard to protect her. So, when it breaks, she gets a new one to take the old one's place. So, after all this stuff, Lisa started reaching out to paranormal investigation teams to come out and see what they could figure out about her property. The first team to come out was led by an older hippie gentleman. He said he felt a negative energy there, and he took it away with him when he left and released it into the mountains where it wouldn't bother anyone anymore. Listening, I had immediate questions. How he knew the entity didn't follow him back to town or follow him home. Sure, you can move things, but if they've got nothing to tie them to the new place, there's nothing stopping them from returning. My hackles raised at that. Lisa said she didn't ask any questions about how this worked, and she laughed that ignorance is sometimes bliss. And she said they've had no trouble since that man did his thing. They'd had a dozen groups come in since then, with sensitives and psychics, mediums and intuitives, and they all say they feel a lot of energy in the store, but nothing negative is there. She said it took a lot to stand her ground and get rid of what was bad, but she wasn't about to give up. 
Drew asked if Lisa knows who any of the spirits in the store are, and Lisa said they think they know a couple of them. She said everyone who comes to the store picks up on the grumpy old man in the front of the store. She told a story of a medium psychic woman who came through for other reasons, who said she felt a grumpy old man who doesn't like women, and Lisa nodded. But the other woman continued, saying she felt he was a minor and he died of something with his heart or his lungs. Lisa's research showed the second family in the home was a mom, a dad, and their adult sons. They were all minors, so they believed the grumpy old man was the dad who died within the first year of being in the home. His name was Augustus White, and he was listed as Gus on some of the paperwork they found. The lady that people have seen at the front has dark hair. Lisa also has dark hair, so people sometimes thought they were seeing her. But Lisa has been in the front window, redoing the window display, and neighbors have walked by and seen another dark-haired woman standing behind the register counter. But they believe that is the original owner of the store, Alta Smith. Monica said that woman feels she runs the place, gives them advice on how to do things, and Lisa gave the spirit props because it's all worked out very well for them so far. So Lisa's totally okay with the spirit giving her direction with regards to her business. I'm not sure how I would feel about it if it was me. One night, after the store closed for the day, the couple had some friends come by. Not a large gathering, just a handful of people hanging out in the kitchen, having drinks and a laugh. A latched cupboard containing drink glasses flew open while they were hanging out in there, and the guests froze. Lisa laughed that the house likes to be part of a party, and Drew suggested she leave a drink glass out for the spirits during these parties. Overall, Lisa said the spirits seem to be pleased with their presence and with the work the couple has done on the space. They opened it back up and made it more like it used to be. They uncovered hidden windows that had been boarded up from both the inside and the outside and opened them back up again. I immediately wondered if the stained glass window that Monica's group caught the tall shadow man in was one of those hidden windows. And if they'd been hidden for reasons. Then she said they also found a hat between the walls of the shop during renovations. It dated back to the early 1900s based on the tag inside the hat, and it was a fedora-style hat. It's now on display at the store, and those who hold it sometimes smell a strong cologne. I wonder if it maybe belonged to one of the bootleggers from the basement. Lisa's ghost train episode wrapped up, and I found I was absorbing enough information about this location at long last. I searched around a bit more, but didn't really find much. I would just have to wait. (sighs) Waiting is hard. I may or may not have started counting the days until it was time to go to the store for myself, and probably annoyed Beth with my incessant chatter about it. I have three modes. Level one, I'm silent as death, where I probably am deep in thought about some project or another. Or maybe it's a high pain day and I'm trying to hold my shit together. Level 
two, I am an over-caffeinated nervous chatterbox where I ramble about nothing to fill any awkward silences. This involves small talk, not my strong suit. Level three is something I call crazy creative mode. It's where I can't shut up about my latest creative project or a new show, and I'm certain I annoy everyone with it. This ghost hunt? Solid level three obsession. I was in deep. But as a result, I was feeling more prepared to go in there. I knew I wanted to try holding that fedora hat to see what I could get off of it. I knew to be wary around the quote-unquote little girls. And I would definitely be respectful to the grumpy older man in the front of the store. But the scheduled night was still weeks away at that point. And as I said, waiting is hard. Just like waiting for the continuation of this story is. This is the end of part one of the ghost hunt at the Pink Cadillac series. Come on back next time for part two. Thank you all so much for joining me. If you have a paranormal story of your own to share, perhaps about feeling things through the internet, or maybe you have been to the Pink Cadillac Boutique and want to tell your story too, send me your stories and I'll read them here. Send your stories to beyondtheveilparanormaltales at gmail.com. You can write me to schedule a social distance interview, if you prefer. All stories will be anonymous outside of shared research of publicly available material. This is done to protect privacy. You can find us on social media, on our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and our Instagram account. All episode-related artwork and images will be shared across the platforms. Join us, but play nice or I'll put you in timeout. If you'd like to support the blog and podcast, you can do that by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Rating us on Apple Podcasts is a huge help if you care to do so. I really do appreciate it. It really does help other people like you find us. If you like what you hear and you'd like to leave a little tip, you can do that over on Patreon. Your donation helps cover the costs of production and helps replace dying equipment as is needed. If you do choose to donate, thank you so much. I think that about wraps it up for tonight. Join me here again next time for part two of our ghost hunting story. For now, hang by that fire a bit longer, watch the stars come out, and soak up the heat of the coals before you head to bed. Be sure to pour water over those coals before you head on in, and keep that blanket wrapped around you in the hallway. Wait. Did you hear that? Were those footsteps just behind you? Shit. Until next time, this has been Beyond the Veil Paranormal Tales with Becca. Sleep tight. Some names in this story have been changed to protect privacy. Any real names used here are directly from the public research material. All original material links can be found on the blog at beyondtheveilparanormaltales.com.